We are Living by the Word Ministries, a nonprofit organization dedicated to one cause. That cause is the truth given in the Holy Bible, which we believe is the inerrant and infallible Word of God, conferred to man to live by. We let the Word of God be the final authority as to what is or is not true. We strongly feel that if we do not expose false doctrine, we only encourage it. This ministry is designed to challenge you from an apologetic point of view. 1 Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. This is Michael Tinsley. Please stay tuned while we arm you, the believer, to keep living by the word. It's the noble thing to do. Good evening and welcome to all of our listeners, wherever you may be, however you may be listening. Thank you for joining the Bible Information Brokers. My name is Brian Allen, and for the next two hours, we are here to answer your open, honest Bible questions. So let's get these phone calls lit up. Let's get uh, you start dialing right now. Uh, the toll-free number, I said toll-free, doesn't cost you anything. one 888 la talks one 528 2557 once again, one triple eight LA Talks, one triple eight five two eight two five five seven. Now, if you heard something in church today, if you heard something in a Bible study, if you had any discussion, say with Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, atheists, Muslims, uh, someone in the Word Faith Movement, uh, whomever, and you have a question about it, give us a call. One triple eight LA Talks, one triple eight. Five two eight two five five seven. Uh, we have our new screener here today, Eric. So we want to keep him busy so we can get him trained as well, uh, working the phones and uh, uh, screening our calls. So definitely give us a call so we can get you set up to come on air with your Bible questions. Let me give you that number again: one triple eight LA Talks one triple eight five two eight two five five seven. Now you know if you are. Uh, if you're just reading the Bible, just, you know, not, you know, not a question with, say, a Jehovah Witness or Mormon or uh, a Muslim or a non-Christian or a, an atheist, whatever the case might be. If you're just reading your Bible, you're going to have questions. And uh, I know for the past 20 plus years, uh, we've had uh, just myriads of great, great questions that you, the listening audience, have asked. So let's continue that today. We have open lines right now. We're starting our show off. We have open lines. Uh, I don't want to happen what happens all the time, and it's probably because I say it, and that's with 15 minutes left in the show, uh, we get a bombardment of phone calls. Take advantage now while we have the open lines. One triple eight LA Talks, one triple eight five two eight two five five seven. Once again, one triple eight LA Talks, one triple eight five two eight two five five seven. Now, if you want to, you can email us a question. You can uh, just go to questions at bibleinfobrokers.com questions at bibleinfobrokers.com. You can uh, ask a question that way. You can go to our website. Uh, again, that is at bibleinfobrokers.com, bibleinfobrokers.com. And by doing that, there's an area there where you can ask a question. So again, um, take advantage of it. So again, uh, we do want to get these phone lines lit up. Let's get it going with your Bible question. one 888 talks one 888 
1-800-242-2557. Right now, I want to introduce uh, my good friend and co-host of the show, Professor Craig Hawkins. Craig, how are you doing? Hey, Brian. Good evening. Good evening, my friend. What's been going on? Just keeping busy as usual. Oh, yeah. Yes. As usual is the right word to use, too. Um, so, again, ladies and gentlemen, I, I don't know. I don't know if these phone lines are working, but uh, normally we've got calls coming in right now, but I don't see anyone. So uh, just call. Just let us know that the phone lines are working. one we have had that problem before. one la talks one 528 Well, I do see our, um, our good friend... Uh, Daryl, who is not with us this evening, and so he is on the line, so I'm going to pull Daryl up right quick. Daryl. Hey, brother. How you doing? I, I'm impressed, Brian. You said you have two friends. You call Professor your good friend, and you call me your good friend. I don't think we'll argue with you, but that's good to have at least two. I, and and my, probably my only – I might have one more, too, so I don't know. But, uh, well, we, we We'll take a vote on that a little later. Yeah, I, I let my... Hey, BCH, how you doing, brother? Good evening. Hey, listen, I, I don't want to be uh, too long and let the other callers call in, but I did have a question I wanted to bring up. Um, it's in regards to um, our personal feelings that when we in leadership are, that our personal feelings about a certain issue, and let me get more specific. It's like the Supreme Court of our land goes by what's constitutional. BCH is probably geared more toward you answering. I know you teach lawyers. I know, also know you teach pastors. How do they make a distinction between what their personal thoughts are, like let's say for gay marriage or other things like that, but yet there's a constitutional uh, law that allows it? Could they, how, how do they make that? How does one... How do you teach one to distinguish between the two and which one would affect you if you were in position to make a vote, like on the Supreme Court? Well, some, some justices would try to do that, but actually the bulk of legal theory today doesn't try to do that. They don't even pretend to. Clear back in the early 1900s with what's called legal realism and then uh, a whole host of uh, philosophies and views of what's called jurisprudence and or adjudication came out of that. And a lot of them would say, look, uh, judges are legislators in robes. Uh, some have said, even famous jurists uh, such as Oliver Wendell Holmes, that basically judges make their decisions and then they look uh, for a basis to rationalize it. And so ju- judges, many would admit that, look, that they, they just, even uh, Richard Posner just retired from the Seventh Circuit, a so-called law and economics guy, uh, but heavily influenced by postmodernism, legal realism, and other philosophies of the day, they often don't. And sometimes they give an appearance of that, but many would say you don't. Sotomayor, who's a legal realist, says, look, as a Latina, uh, she's going to rule even differently than, than uh, say, um, a Caucasian female. She, she uh, famously disagreed with Sandra Day O'Connor, for example, on how uh, a female judge would rule, let alone so Latina versus Caucasian, let alone versus uh, a male. Um, and so at any rate, Daryl, uh, basically law is politics. Um, a number of famous jurists have said, and, and today many, uh, there's, uh, there's a thin veneer at best. And a lot of them would say, look, we don't try to, uh, we, do, we do rule in light of what our views are. In fact, legal realism, I'll just say this, which is a, a very popular 
view of law among jurists, among judges, for example, would say that, look, legal matters are primarily decided on non-legal matters. By that, we mean not what we call black-letter law, not civil, criminal, or uh, statutory code, but basically done according to what the judge thinks is fair and equitable. And notice I said what they think, or either the panel, if it's a appellate court or an you know, individual judge, they do what fair and equitable, and then legal matters, one more time, are decided primarily by non-legal matters. That is, in light of uh, using psychology, sociology, anthropology, uh, what have you. Um, and so, you know, the gloves are off. I mean, and, and a lot of them will just admit it. So uh, that's what Christians are up against today. Uh, very few are what we would call originalist in some sense and wanting to stick to what the Constitution either the intent of the authors, which many would say we can't know, but at least how someone in that era would have understood what they said, and mm-hmm. and to stick to that, uh, someone like Ruth Bader Ginsburg says basically, and I was thinking of, uh, oh, what's her name, Diane Feinstein, a, a senator of California, well, uh, right. and, and with Gorsuch and his confirmation uh, um, hearing, said basically the, the Constitution is a living, breathing document. Translation, that means whatever we want it to mean. It's like a wax nose, we can twist it any way we want. What the founding fathers me- meant, they would say either we can't know and or we know we don't care. It means what we want it to mean. So oh, that's the day and age in which we live, and people need to wake up and smell the coffee. You know, PCH and Brian, I, I don't really see this as a, uh, a big difference in what, uh, what uh, the prophet Daniel had to deal with when they uh, told him about not praying or told the, the, uh, the Jews back in the day that if you're going to be in the Roman arena that you have to, you know, uh, uh, worship this God, and they they said, no, we're not going to do that because there's a bigger thing, like you said, for the Christian to go by. So I'm just wondering, uh, how does that get played out in the the practical life of Christians when you have the politicians that you're voting for get in office and then do the very thing you said, make the Constitution a living, breathing um, a document, and I find the same mindset, maybe it's the spirit of age, uh, we talk about that uh, guys like thing, if the people in church are treating the Bible as a living, breathing document. You know, that's your second question, so no, I'm just joking. I'm, sorry, I'm doing like Joy, huh? <laughs> well, well two, two things, just quickly on this. Actually, no, it's exactly it. Typically, uh, an average even evangelical Bible study goes something like this. Well, what do you think the passage means, or what does it mean to you? All right, yeah. And, and, you know, that might be interesting on a personal level, we might care, but that's really irrelevant to what it actually means. Right. Um, what someone thinks, per se, has no bearing, per se, on what it actually means. Uh, you know, that'd be like it, it coming into the emergency room and you're complaining of some serious uh, malady, and uh, th- then the doctor just says, well, what do you think? You know, and you're like, look, I'm here because you're supposed to be a doctor. You're supposed to have much more knowledge on this than I do. So, um, <laughs> but, but we can go on this uh, wax elephants quite a long time on this, but I would recommend, uh, in fact, uh, the first, at least I thought there was going to be a follow-up. I'm not sure if there will be or not, but the first, I, I thought I was doing a three uh, at Core Church was a dealing with, now that's intolerant, and I was pointing out example after example from law and culture and society in general where we are seeing that where uh, there is this intolerance towards Christians and what they believe and what we want to practice and we're told that we need to conform and there's a number of cases even at the Supreme Court right now such as uh, Colorado Commission on Human Rights versus Masterpiece Cake Shop 
uh, telling us mm-hmm. basically what, what Christians have to do. And so Christians do need to really be aware. Uh, Daryl, so someone might say, well, I thought I'd turn into a Bible answer program, and they're talking about law. Yeah, well, we are, because I would argue that uh, Christ and culture that uh, I don't buy this strict dichotomy. There's the church, the sacred, and then there's the secular. I believe the two bleed into each other, and that, as the Reformers pointed out, really um, the sacred uh, permeates all of life. But but also, Daryl, as you point out, it does affect how people interpret the Bible, or try to in some sense. And, and as well, it, it impacts us in how we live or are able to live out or not our faith and our said values. And so these are radically significant questions for the Christian. At least someone thinks this is just we're talking what's called adjudication or simply jurisprudence, the latter being the philosophy of law. Uh, no, this has radically to do with Christianity and how we understand it and its implications for everyday life. Amen. Yeah, it gets right down to the line. I won't push it issue since you uh, put the number two on I me. Mean, I have two questions or something like that, so I'll simply say mahalo, and I appreciate you guys very much. And your car is safe, so just want to let you know. <laughs> Love you guys, too. Have take, a great show. Take okay, care. Brother. Uh-huh. That was Daryl Easy D. Pray for him. He's away uh, out of the city. Don't know if he's out of the state, but just uh, keep your uh, keep him in your prayers. Toll-free number, ladies and gentlemen, one triple eight la talks one triple eight five two eight two five five seven. We're going to uh, get to your uh, calls right now, and uh, a little bit later on, Craig, I want to talk about this uh, whole thing in Texas. It's, it's like one thing after another, after another, after another. But right now, uh, we're going to go to the Carson area, and we're going to talk to uh, we're going to talk to Anthony. Let's see if we can get Anthony up. Anthony, how's it going? Uh, welcome, Professor Hawkins. Welcome, welcome, staff. Thanks, thanks for taking my call, guys. No problem. Your question for this evening? Yes, uh, there's a there's a recurrent issue uh, for people who have the prophetic gift and apostles and stuff like that. Uh, there's a there's no there's a debate in the air. How can you determine who has a true prophetic apostolic gift as opposed to those who have divination and other witchcraft things who are operating and covertly? Because uh, some people claim to be one thing and you know, using uh, things, uh, malevolent forces. And you have people who are true godly people, and on the, on the surface they seem the same. And the Bible says in First Samuel 16, 7, for a man looks the our appearance, but God knows the condition of man's heart. And, you know, you don't know who's false, you don't know who's true, you don't know who's uh, wolf in sheep clothing, you don't know who God's angels are. So, you know, you know, there's a recurrent issue going in the church and the community for people who, you know, don't want to get misled. And, you know, the Bible says, right. you know, you've got to be, use the eye of discernment nowadays, you know. The enemy's working and God's working too, you know. So, kind of like the wheat, kind of like the wheat and the tares, right? Yeah, you know who's who, you know. Yeah. uh, uh, Witches got cars, and uh, apostles got cars, vandalists got cars, and you know, uh, everyone has a car, so you don't know who's who, you know. All right, professor. Yeah, thanks, Anthony. Sure, and good question. I, I, I need. I need to point out, some would debate whether there even is the gift of prophecy uh, and whatnot today. Um, people like Wayne Grudem, a well-known theologian, would say, look, uh, that there is. There is a biblical usage of prophecy today. Um, whatever the one's view, whether one thinks it's for today or not, I- I'm going to argue there's two clear guidelines, and-, and maybe we could put it a third way as well, uh, to distinguish, uh, we would say, uh, among three sources. What is simply of human origin is 
simply the product of someone's vivid imagination or, or otherwise. What is actually demonic it comes from the, the evil realm, and what is actually from God. And, of course, um, we were celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Reformation this last week. Um, the Reformers would argue, as I would, that it has to accord with the Word of God, that whenever someone says anything, it must accord with the Word. Indeed, uh, Paul gives clear guidelines where the gift of prophecy certainly was uh, actively being used. For example, the Church of Corinth, uh, not without some problems, but uh, was being used. And Paul says very clearly, let one or two, three at the most speak, and let the others judge, discern, uh, weigh it. And F.F. F. Bruce and others would tell us, and even dealing with what's called the canon of the Bible, is we know that there's a theological test, and that is, what is said has to accord with what God's already revealed, in this case, with his written word. And so really the two primary cases, really the when I say the Bible, is simply the uh, rich application of the first one. Clear back in Deuteronomy 13, uh, we're told basically uh, that if someone arises among uh, the people and is a prophet or so-called dreamer of dreams or what have you, um, that they need to attest it, that, that it has to be in accord with what God's already revealed. So this would this would actually go with what I was just talking about. So the first test really is it will accord with what God's already revealed in his word, uh, we would argue the Bible, Old and New Testament, as we refer to it. Uh, that's number one. And I would argue in the same book, Deuteronomy 18, we're given the other major test that it has to actually occur. If someone is a prophet of God and they predict something, it better happen. And if it doesn't, they had a rock party for you, and it didn't end well for that person. In other words, it, it, there's no, like, batting 70, 80, 90 percent. It's supposed to be 100 percent accuracy, that if God's in it, it's going to happen, uh, because God knows what we would call the future, and therefore he's able to uh, communicate that to us with 100 percent accuracy. If someone is speaking on his behalf, it's going to have to have 100 percent accuracy. So the two big tests are in either order, but I think I'd put the indeed the former one as the utmost of importance. It must accord with what God has already revealed. So if somebody tells me they're a prophet of God, but they say all paths lead to God, all religions are true, for example, as we hear with some postmodernists and emergent, emerging church folks, I, I know that that's not of God because God told us that's not the case. And then once again, someone says something's going to happen and it doesn't happen, uh, that person is not speaking by the Spirit of God. I would argue uh, whatever else could be said, Anthony, those are the two major biblical tests, and we would w do well to utilize those even to this day. Thank you, Professor Hogan. That, that, it's a very simple answer. Those who are versus Scripture can easily make the comparison, and, and, and God will reveal it to you, you know, right independently. And thank you for your time. You guys pray for me. Uh, I'm out here on the front lines by myself, and the devil is destroying our beautiful community, so... There's not a lot of people coming out, raising the banner of salvation. Not really, not a lot of evangelists, and uh, I'm kind of like John the Baptist out here. So thanks for your quality time. Oh, yeah, Anthony. Appreciate what you're doing, brother. God bless you, Anthony. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Bible Information Brokers. Uh, the toll-free number, one la talks one 888 If you have a question... Give us a call right now. We do have some open lines. One triple eight LA Talks. One triple eight five two eight two five five seven. You can also email us your questions. Uh, I know a lot of you do that, and you can uh, just go to questions at bibleinfobrokers.com. 
uh, questions at BibleInfoBrokers.com or go right to our website, BibleInfoBrokers.com, and um, just go to the link that says uh, questions and just type it in, and uh, we'll go from there. Again, one triple eight LA talks one triple eight five two eight two five five seven. You know, one of the things, Craig, you taught me a long time is the dumbest questions are the ones that are never asked. And um, you know, I've heard in the past at times people feel somewhat intimidated because they feel their question might be dumb or irrelevant or anything like that. Uh, by all means, that is not the case. If you have a question, don't worry about how irrelevant you might think it is. It's very relevant if you don't know the answer and you have a question so that's why we're here on uh, Sunday nights we've been doing this for over 20 years and um, praise God so again let's get these phone lines lit up one triple eight LA talks one triple eight five two eight two five five seven Eric is our screener he's our new screener he's doing a great job so uh, give us a call so we can give him some more practice Anyway, Craig, we're going to go to Whittier. We're going to talk to Art. Art, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing all right. I have a question. I've always been curious of the apostles that actually ran with Jesus. Okay, how many actually wrote into the Bible? So you want to know how how many of the apostles that were with Jesus uh, had actually ran with Jesus, and they were like they did most of the time walking with him and talking to him or whatever. How many of the, well, we know that one of them hung himself, so forget that part. But of all the rest of them, how many actually wrote in the Bible? Great. Well, it's only actually yeah. a few. That's the first uh, question. Okay. Well, let's get this okay, one squared away. Yeah. Let's get this one done, yeah, and then we'll, we'll go to the next time. one. No, we're okay. fine. All right, we'll get to the second question, okay? But let's let's mm-hmm. uh, get the first one answered, okay? Well, mm-hmm. of course, some of them we we know actually weren't apostles, but they were companions. Some of, we we call them amanuenses, which means they were scribes. They were a secretary, mm-hmm. if you will. Uh, John Mark, right. for example, we know from church history was uh, actually a friend and companion of Peter, and so he writes. But of course, we have Peter, obviously writing First and Second Peter, for example. We have John, mm-hmm. we have Matthew, right? right? Now, James is the mm-hmm. half-brother of our Lord, uh, who writes mm-hmm. that epistle. Uh, Jude is also a half-brother of our Lord as well. Paul was mm-hmm. actually, uh, of course, not he was, he was called to be apostle after the resurrection of Jesus, but not before, so, and he writes mm-hmm. the bulk of the New Testament. Luke uh, was uh, the doctor, the physician, the beloved physician, is actually, again, an amanuense and, and traveling companion with the Apostle Paul. Uh, so really, it's, it's less than a handful uh, of the Apostles who actually wrote. So, you know, Thomas doesn't write anything that's written down. You know, they're quoted. He's quoted in John 20, 28, whatnot. But uh, really, we're looking at four or five-ish, if you will, who actually wrote in the New Testament. Yeah, okay. They actually traveled question. with Jesus. Yeah, and after mm-hmm. they done traveled and everything, and Christ was crucified and died and all that, and then re-arose, you know, from being dead, from that part on, what did the apostles do? To my knowledge, they all, from my learning, they all died horrible deaths. Has anybody ever wrote a book about that? Yeah, there or are. Other uh... than what's in the Bible? Yeah, there are books, actually, a few, 
Uh, Stuart McBurney wrote a book years ago on the Twelve Apostles, and uh, and there is something about them in the book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. F O X apostrophe mm-hmm. uh, S. Fox's Book of Martyrs uh, talks about them. So we do know we knew we do know things about them because in the early church there were the disciples of the disciples. And we uh, we actually have a, an early in the third fourth century a church historian named Eusebius of Caesarea, and he also uh, records and writes some things down about the apostles and what happened to them. So, for instance, even though it's not in the Bible, we've we've been told that eventually Thomas actually ended up in India and was martyred there. Right. And so, yeah. So at any rate, we do know some. It's not in the New Testament. Some of it is. We know that you know, of course. Uh, we know from church history that Peter was uh, crucified under Nero as well. That's not mentioned in the New Testament. Uh, but some of the apostles we know about their deaths, it's, it's recorded right there. So, yeah, really you're looking at three max four. Okay, is it true that all they had to do is deny Jesus and they could have walked? For some of them, I mean, some of them weren't given that option, but often in the Roman world, at least, that's often what it was, is they many times were given if they would basically deny Christ, or another way to do it is if they would offer incense to Caesar uh, with the emperor worship, uh, and then that that would be taken as, okay, you're kosher. I mean, Rome's view, I mix my metaphors there with a uh, Jewish saying, but at any rate, Rome's view was, you can worship wherever you want as long as you're subservient, as long as you are loyal to the state and to Caesar worship, as long as you belong to the civil religion uh, of, of Rome, the Roman Empire itself, you could kind of do what you wanted. And the Christians bothered them for, among other reasons, is that they wouldn't swear allegiance to Caesar, but they swore exclusive allegiance to Christ. Uh, that's, by the way, why some of them later on could not serve in the military, because in the military they were required to swear allegiance, first and foremost to well, yeah, Caesar. Well, yeah, but when Christ was crucified, it was, a, it was made to believe that the Jews or the one that instigated him to be crucified. And then after he died, why did the Romans go after the other ones? How come the Jews didn't go after him? Well, they did. They were preaching the same thing. They did. Paul actually ends up in trouble, uh, and it's from a a Jewish instigation. But I want to be careful. It's not just our Jewish friends. We're all uh, responsible for the death of Christ. But they were involved in it as well. It's not either or. Uh, whether they liked it or not, they were part of the Roman Empire, and so they, many times, there was two ways that Christians, early Christians were persecuted. Sometimes it was by official programs of the Roman Empire, and that is literally coming down from whoever the Caesar was at the time, but many times, and some of the actually perhaps worse and more extensive persecutions were done impromptu or informally by simply, by citizens of Rome who persecuted Christians and were just as merciless and heartless as 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 the Roman Empire itself was towards them. All right, Art. Okay, they... Well, thanks for that information. I appreciate it, and I hope you can hear the jet flying over my head. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, thank you. So, thank you. Thanks, Art. Mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, listening to the Bible Information Brokers, don't know where you guys are tonight. Um, but we do have some open lines. One triple eight L A talks. One triple eight five two eight. Two five five seven. Once again, one triple eight LA talks. One triple eight five two eight two five five seven. Hope I'm giving out the right phone number. I think I am. I've been doing it for a while. Um, ladies and gentlemen, 
while we are waiting for these phone lines to get lit up. Um, you know, I do want you to know that the Bible Information Brokers, on behalf of Living by the Word Ministries, is a faith-supported broadcast. That means that our broadcast is completely dependent on the financial support of our listeners. Um, if you believe in the work of this ministry, if you believe that this ministry is having a positive spiritual impact on you, then stand with us and help support this radio broadcast, not just with your prayers, and we thank you for them, but also with your financial giving. Here's the bottom line. Whenever you spend money, there's a reason why you're investing your money in whatever it is, okay? Uh, so ask yourself if this broadcast is worth making a financial investment, which I also believe is a spiritual investment as well. And if it is, we would ask you to take the time and send this ministry a donation today. And uh, remember, when you give, it's a tax uh, deduction for you as well. So with that being said, here's a couple of ways that you can give. The first way is quick and easy, which is through the Internet. Go to our website, BibleInfoBrokers.com. Once again, that's BibleInfoBrokers.com. Simply click on the link that says Support and Donate, and you'll have the option of making a one-time donation, or you can set up an automatic monthly deduction. It's that simple. Uh, the second way is by mailing in your check or money order to P.O. Box 90477, Los Angeles, California, 90009. Once again, that's P.O. Box 90477, Los Angeles, California, 90009. So whether your donation is by mail, if it's by the Internet, doesn't matter. We want to thank you in advance for supporting the Bible Information Brokers. Okay, with that being said, we're going to go back to the phone lines, and we're going to go to the Los Angeles area, and we're going to talk to Enrique. Enrique, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing okay, guys. Uh, I just call, I listen to you guys all the time, and I always look to you guys for, you know, support, you know, just hearing your, your show every week, you know, when I can listen to it, you know, I, I forget sometimes, but it just, you know, brings me closer to God, you know, and the fellowship that you guys offer. And um, right now I'm just going through some tough times uh, with an illness with my mother, and I just, you know, uh, you know, I was listening to the show, I just wanted to ask you guys if, uh, if you guys could pray for her. You know, she's having some circulatory problems, and, you know, uh, I just, I, I keep praying to God that, you know, that He can heal her. He can heal her with these, with, with these problems, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, I just, I lost my dad, you know, over 20 years ago, and, you know, my, you know, if I were to lose her, just, you know, would, you know, really leave me alone, you know, in this world, you know, and I just, I ask, uh, I ask God, I ask, you know, you guys that are my friends and uh, my brothers, you know, for, for your prayers for her. Yeah, Brian, would you lead us in prayer for Enrique's mom? Yeah, absolutely, Enrique. It's our, our privilege to do that. So yeah, and and be happy to pray for her. And and to our listening audience too, when you hear anyone on our show ask for prayer requests, I I ask that you pray for them as well. Okay. Uh, so with that being said, dear Lord, I I just lift uh, Enrique up and um, and I thank you for having him call in the show and uh, request prayer for his mom and. And Lord, you know, and we lift his, his mom up to you. We, we, we pray for healing, Lord. And, and when I pray for healing, Lord, uh, you know what? I don't care how you do it, Lord. I, 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 I don't care if you use a doctor. I don't care if you use medicine. I don't care if it's miraculously with none of that. She just is healed. Uh, the fact is, Lord, I know you're a God that heals. I believe you're a God that heals. And so we lift Enrique's uh, 
mom up to you. Lord, through this whole process, I just pray that you give uh, Enrique, his mom, and everyone else, the family, just peace, uh, comfort, knowing that you are there, you are God, and you do all things well, and that we just continue to trust in you, we trust and believe in you, and uh, Lord, uh, we just pray that your will will be done. So with that being said, Lord, I just thank you again uh, for Enrique coming up and, and, and sharing his situation with his mom. I just pray for his mom, Lord, and just again, give her the peace, give her the comfort that only you can give. Uh, that's beyond our understanding. And again, Lord, uh, heal her, okay? Make her whole, and uh, may your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, Enrique, thank you so much. And uh, again, I, I ask for our listening audience to pray for Enrique's mom as well, okay? Uh, there's, there's never too much prayer. You can never overpray, so uh, keep that in mind. Thanks for calling, Enrique. Thank you very much, brothers. Right, bye-bye. God bless you. Blessings to you as well. You are listening to the Bible Information Brokers. My name is Brian Allen with Professor Craig Hawkins. Uh, the toll-free number, one triple eight la talks one triple eight five two eight two five five seven. 528 questions are the ones that are never asked. So if you're hesitant about asking, don't be. Give us a call. That's why we're here. one triple eight la talks one triple eight five two eight two five five seven. Take advantage of the open lines that we have right now. Um, okay, I see Dan. I see Tom. Uh, hang on with. Hang on. We're going to get to your uh, uh, questions. Uh, Craig, um, here's a question for you, and it's right up your alley. Um, should a Christian study philosophy, and if so, why? Now I know you well, know nothing about philosophy. You know, only, you yeah, know. I, I'm really not sure. <laughs> uh, what, what's that? What, what does that deal with? By the way, uh, wisdom. Yeah. Well, allegedly, philosophy means the love of wisdom. But uh, some have said <laughs> maybe it may be the goal of philosophy, but not often of philosophers. That's um, true. <laughs> I, I, I want to be careful here. Um, uh, because I have graduate degrees in philosophy and teach at the graduate level in philosophy as well, uh, a number of topics. It's broken down into um, things like epistemology, ethics, and metaphysics, and so on and so forth. But at any rate, typically at, at many colleges, not all, but many, you are required to take one or two-ish uh, philosophy classes, so sometimes you have no choice. You take, for example, what's called an intro to philosophy, and they'll talk about you know various issues, things like from free will to the problem of evil, um, to logic and reasoning and uh, and whatnot. Logic again is actually a class that comes under the heading of philosophy. Uh, and then you know some people say, well, yeah, but I, I maybe take a minor or, or a major in that. And uh, I want to say it really just depends. I mean. Um, what has God called you to do? It's for some people, not for others. I think everybody needs a, a minimal amount to be inoculated, needs to know some basics of philosophy. Uh, there's an old line that the problem with most theologians is they need to take some philosophy classes, and the problem with most philosophers is they need to take some theology classes, and I think there's a lot of truth to that. Um, but if God's called you to that, then yeah, I, I think it's... In other words, I'll put it this way. It's not for everybody to major in it, to get a degree in it, but it is for some, like myself and many others. And uh, I believe it can be immensely valuable. 
yeah, there's a lot of pitfalls, but you know what? I took I took math classes. You can take basket weaving, and they're bashing Christianity. So um, some of my professors were very sympathetic to Christianity. Some were Christians, and, of course, some were not, and were very hostile as well. Um, but but I, I think it can be very profitable. C.S. Lewis one time said basically that there is a need to have Christian philosophers because bad philosophy needs uh, bad philosophy exists and it needs to be answered. And so there's a number of what uh, folks who are what are called the new atheists. I think of people like Daniel Dennett. Uh, there's a number of people who are actually are formerly are philosophers, and some just like to dabble in it. Richard Dawkins thinks he is, and he should perhaps try to stick to biology. He's not a very good thinker. Um, uh, at any rate. Uh, so I, I see it as really it's an invaluable tool, and uh, I, I tell people I've taken some. I, I went to college for 15 years. Now I'm not talking about you know high school. After high school, after, you know, 12 years, I went to school, including graduate school, to, uh, for 15 years full time, uh, with a number of degrees in various areas, including philosophy, and where I also teach in that area and theology and so on and so forth, cultural studies and whatnot, and I teach in the area of law and, and so on as well. And, and I found it invaluable, Brian. I took some pretty bizarre classes, had some really goofy professors at times, but I've used like every ounce of it. Everything I've ever studied, I've been able to use, and I would say use significantly. I don't just mean use a paper as a paperweight or something like that uh, to make uh, you know, paper planes with, airplanes. Uh, I've used it, and so I believe it can be invaluable, but one needs discernment, and it's not for the faint of heart because a lot of it really thrashes Christianity and or undermines it and gives you some type of liberal perspective or what have you. Uh, but I do believe for those who are called to it, it can be invaluable. And I thank God, uh, I thank God that I was influenced by people who had graduate degrees, indeed, you know, PhDs in philosophy. Not all of them, but many of them that influenced me did. And uh, it was invaluable for me personally, and I believe the Lord called me to do it. Now, again, I don't want to do gift projection and say it's for everybody, <laughs> but no, excuse me, nor do I think it's uh, not for any Christian either. There's some um, really, really good philosophers. I think Alvin Plantinga, who was the past president of the American Philosophical Association, taught for years at Notre Dame. And uh, anyways, there's just a whole list. There's uh, there's books out, one or two of them, like one's called Philosophers Who Believe, and uh, and there's some really high-powered Christian, uh, high-powered philosophers who are in fact are very committed Christians. So. I think there really is a place for it, but I think there is discretion uh, because it can be very, um, it can be damaging. It can be harmful if you're not really uh, a thinker and you're not really prepared to go to war. And that's what it is, and it's a spiritual battle ultimately. By that I mean, it's a war of ideas, and you need to be able. To, but to think well, let me just say this, Brian. You know, in the Bible, we're told that there is a greatest command of all the commands, not just of the Ten Commands, but indeed of the 613 total commands. We're told, for example, Mark 2, uh, quoting from Deuteronomy, that the greatest command is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Christ, when he referenced that, the word there for mind is this word, dianoia, which is about one of a dozen words for mind, and it means specifically the ability of logical reasoning or analysis. Thinking, not just thinking, but the think type of thinking we call reasoning, what's called discursive reasoning or in, uh, inferences, uh, making inductions, uh, or excuse me, uh, inferences, both inductive and deductive reasoning. And so Christ himself, God himself tells us that the greatest command is to love God with our, including, includes our mind. And I believe that philosophy can be an invaluable skill in studying epistemology, the theory of knowledge, what you can know, how do you know it, 
differences, if there is such a thing between fact and opinion and so on and so forth, and, and the study of logic formally itself, I think is invaluable for sound thinking. And there are, unfortunately, many people who are theologians. Now, you're not, if you're a pastor, you're not, that doesn't make you a theologian. That's additional training. Um, you do theology in some sense, but a theologian has further training. Uh, but some of them clearly are not very good thinkers. They, they think very sloppy. And, and you could even have good data, good information, but make improper, wrong, or false extrapolations from that. So... I believe we. I'm, I'm starting to go on and on here, but just to round this thing up, I think it can be invaluable. Uh, but one needs to know that, that that God has called them to do that, and they're they're up for the challenge because it will be a challenge for most. Thank you so much for that, Craig. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Bible Information Brokers. My name is Brian Allen with Professor Craig Hawkins. The toll-free number, one 888 talks one 888 Say it again. You got a question? Give us a call. Uh, doesn't do any good if you don't ask. The dumbest questions are the ones that are never asked, and uh, I think you can't you can't uh, say it any better than that. So, with that being said, I do want to go to the South Bay area. Craig, you know, is in South Bay, and our good friend Dan. Let's see what Dan has to ask. Dan, how are you doing? I'm I'm well. Good. Uh, so it's nice to hear uh, you answer uh, easy with he's your good friend, Craig's your good friend, and you said I'm your good friend. So you do have other good friends. That is true. I do. Thank you. Thank you for letting me know that. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad to be included in your list of good friends. You My are. You friend. are. You are a good friend, Dan. Uh, uh, well, brother. Yes. Yeah. Um, even though you didn't come to dinner with us last time when I was down in your neck of the woods. <laughs> well, of course. You know, I'm invited, so I'm going to go. Uh, well, well, you know, yeah. Dan, I could say you're someone I broke Johnny's pastrami's with. So <laughs> That's right. We broke bread together. Yeah. Pastrami. Okay. About the, about the only thing better than that will be to break bread with our Lord. Oh, yeah. That won't even, that won't even be close. So, yeah, without That's question. That's right. Your, well, That's your question, right. uh, Dan. Uh, before my question, uh, we had the previous caller that talked to, that asked for prayer, and I do it sometimes. I'm going to ask you for prayer tonight as well. The reason I'm known as Dan from the South Bay is because I live in my van. When I get to where I have a place again, then whatever place I'm living in, then I'll be from that place. So I, that's why it's South Bay. If you, any of you that want to know. Well, what do you, there's a lot of cities in South Bay. Why doesn't he say one of those? Well, it's because I'm, I don't have a particular home that I live in right now except for my van. So uh, I'm going to ask for prayer for that tonight. But my question has to do with uh, Craig last week asked me to, to uh, call back in on the question I had the previous week about the very, very voice of Jesus and the very uh, versus the very words of Jesus. Uh, on the I am statements, and, and personally, I take that farther into anything that he said or was quoted uh, in New Testament, because it makes me question then, do we have the very voice or the very words? Yeah, and and, uh, and I'm going to argue from the Latin ipsima verba, which would be literally the very words, or we would say, uh, uh, what's the word... Um, that's what I want. Anyways, uh, the phrase, I'm going to blank right now, but versus Ipsima Vox, which is the vo voice. So people like Daryl Bach and others and people that I respect, uh, but they, they hold that what we have is, 
actually the voice, the meaning, the, 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 what, the essence of what Christ wanted to say or would, would say to us or did say, but it's not literally verbatim. There we go. They're not the other Latin phrase, verbatim. And I would argue, no, it, I believe it's verbatim. I, I, I believe you see Christ. Uh, Christ himself makes arguments going back to the Old Testament on present versus past tense, right? He says, I, have you, you, you do err not knowing the scriptures of the power of God. He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not he was, you know, and answering the Sadducees who didn't believe in resurrection. Uh, Paul himself, for example, makes the argument on, in Galatians uh, on seed, the singular noun versus the plural. And over and over again, we see arguments turning on uh, minutia in quotes. And the Christ says right. not one jot or tittle, not one vowel point is, is in Hebrew, or an iota, scrups, a iota subscript, we would say, or accent mark in Greek is going to fail to all be fulfilled. And so, yeah, I, 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 well, I respect some of these guys greatly. I, I would respectfully disagree with them. I believe it is verbatim. And let me say, there, there was, uh, and there still is, a view called an accommodation view. And that is, well, Christ knows better, uh, but he accommodated his views to the, the uh, false ideas of the day. Sometimes he, he, he knows better, but he just doesn't say it. He just accommodates it. Now, I'm not accusing these folks of holding the accommodation view, but I would argue that when one deals with that issue, you learn to address this other issue. Let me just say there's a number of really good papers and materials and articles on this that one can consult if one just does a word search on Google or what have you. Ipsima uh, uh, Verba and Ipsima Vox, there's some papers that have come up. One of them uh, someone wrote at, out of uh, Master Seminary, and I think they did a really good job on this. But some would say, well, look, 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 there's clearly passages where Christ is teaching on, on the same thing, and they, they differ. So one passage has one, if you're going to say it's a quote, Hawkins, this has one quote, and then here's another quote. And so these differ, so, so it can't be verbatim. And, but that doesn't follow. Uh, I, on a given topic, some topics I've taught on hundreds of times, literally. I've been taught for, you know, over 30 years. Um, I've been teaching the Word of God for over 30 years. Um, and, and I've taught ser- some sermons or, or, or at least lessons or topics a number of times, and I slightly vary each time. I mean, it's never exactly the same. And you, so you could say, well, now you're contradicting yourself, or Hawkins didn't really say this. Well, of course I did. I vary it. I'm still saying the same thing. Um, it's, it's, but, but sometimes I'll use different you know, adjectives or, or synonyms or what have you. And so when there are differences, it doesn't mean that Christ didn't say that or once somebody got it wrong. Uh, but indeed, I would argue that that um, that it simply he said it differently. No, no doubt, I would argue, and we I think we see that in the New Testament that he he had the same teaching sometimes to multiple groups. And look at Christ himself. What does he say, for example, about his teaching? He says, for instance, uh, look at uh, John chapter seven, verse sixteen. They were talking to Jesus and about what did he study? They were amazed at his learning, right? And Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. So there, uh, he's very clear. Look, this, is, this comes from, uh, from the Father. Um, so, and, and, and look at, let me just reference some of these. In, in the chapter 7, for example, uh, you can look at verses 28 and 40. But let's look at a few more here. In John 8, 25, for instance, uh, Christ says, they asked, who are you? They asked, just what I have been claiming all along, Jesus replied. 
I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is reliable, and I, I, and what I have heard from him, I tell the world. So Christ is saying, look, I'm telling you specifically what the Father told me. Now, by the way, you could always say, well, yeah, yeah, that's what they, that's what he told them, but uh, are we accurately getting uh, what Christ said? And I would argue, absolutely. Let me make a couple more points here. So, for instance, just even in the book of John alone, uh, John twelve forty nine, for example, what, what do we what do we read? Jesus says, "For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it." Christ says, "So, for example, not only what I said, but how I said it." And so, again, chapter seven, verse sixteen, we started with. Um, I also mentioned eight, chapter eight, verse twenty five. We could go, if we had time, to John 14, uh, 24 through 25, also John 15, 15, and John 17, 8. And so let me make this point. Christ not only, could, someone could say, well, yeah, okay, yeah, that's Christ claiming he spoke the very words verbatim from the Father. But but what would it matter if, if we don't get the ver- words verbatim of Jesus, and what would it matter if Christ spoke the words verbatim? Uh, because now it's just it's an ad lib or you know or some type of discretion is being used. Yeah, the intent or the basic meaning of the thrust they would say is given, and the idea ipsum of ver vox. But it's not the very words. But Christ says, look, the Holy Spirit's going to come right in John 14, and He's going to guide you into all truth. And what He's going to bring all things to your remembrance, right? Uh, and so, for example, in John 14. 24, these words you hear are not my own, they belong to the Father who sent me, verse 24, now 25, all that I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Same thing in John 16, verses 13 through 15, and maybe just one more passage here, and then I just want to make some final comments, Dan, and I'm so glad you brought us back uh, to all this. Uh, look at John fifteen fifteen. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know what his master's his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. So Christ is very clear. Uh, lastly, let me just for time's sake, just one last passage. I believe. Let's look at John seventeen eight. Right, and what are we told? Um, well, actually, we could look at that, but it'll just be overkill. Um, uh, but the, but so here's the point. Let me summarize this. So Christ claims he speaks the very wor- the very words that the Father gave him. Number one. Number two. What good is that if 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 the apostles couldn't remember verbatim or didn't write down verbatim what he said? Um, uh, and I would argue that was the style. Uh, a disciple of those days who was a student, a learner of any rabbi at the time, would memorize verbatim. Uh, they would literally memorize verbatim the, the teachings. Sometimes it would be uh, quite copious, quite a bit, of uh, the teachings of their rabbi. Would I expect any less of the apostles of Christ? And 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 then so furthermore, the, it's Christ tells that the Spirit of God will not only. This is a normal thing that people did. People were, had, I would say, better memories in the sense that it was a more uh, oral society. They had to remember. They didn't have a lot of them didn't write, didn't read, so they had to memorize things. Um, but the point is, is it, it, indeed that though that gift itself is now supercharged with the superintending work of the Holy Spirit. 
And so I would argue just on a philosophical basis, on a theological basis, while I understand uh, uh, Ipsuma Vox, the vo- very voice of God, I-, I don't hold that view. I hold it Ipsuma Verba, it's the very words of, of God. And that's why Paul can make arguments turned on a singular versus a plural noun. And that's why we read in 2 Timothy 3, 16, 15, 16 in the Greek text, Pasagraphe Theopneustos. All scripture is God-breathed. It's produced by God, and he superintends it. We call it concursive operation. And so, I, I, I mean, I appreciate folks, uh, some of the scholars who hold uh, Ipsum of Vox, but I respectfully disagree. And I, actually, I strongly disagree with them on this issue. And I think there are really significant issues for someone who denies this. I think the Bible teaches it. I think philosophically, theologically, uh, it's sound. And I think there are really serious consequences that result when, when we deny this. Dan, did you get all that? Well, he asked me. I have three questions, about three questions that came up during the week that I wanted to ask. But I, I, I submit to the teacher. He asked me to call back in on this. And, you know, I'd like to say about what you're saying there, Craig, that, mm-hmm. you know, I'm talking to a Zen Buddhist friend that I'm trying to witness to for some time. We both do a 12-step fellowship for sobriety. I just mm-hmm. uh, last week celebrate 23 years. Oh, uh, God. But but I do that as a Christian in the 12-step thing, not with a 12-step uh, and Christianity second. I believe also in the very, in the very voice. Uh, I do, though, have to go from my English, where we might have messed it up some, back to the back to the Greek, and sometimes I'm asking you about those things. But I'm trying to tell this, this Buddhist that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. And, he's, and then he gives me this philosophical stuff of, well, are you sure that's what he said? You know, and the, and the theologian that's also atheist can get us tangled up with this very words rather than the very voice to, to discredit or to take it as if that's not exactly what he said. He might have meant this or he might have meant that. And... Uh, I'm so yeah, glad that you come yeah. down to the very voice. Well, I yeah, I, I actually the very words I would hold to, not just voice. Uh, I meant, I meant, voice. I'm sorry, I meant very, I meant very words. Yeah, and, and I'm going to argue with all due respect. I mean, not that these guys aren't knowledgeable, but uh, the question earlier about philosophy, and to me, this is where philosophical training and thinking comes in to be able to think clearly. I would argue this. I've made this point before, as one of my other colleagues has. Is look. Uh, philosophers have an advantage, and that is if you know how to think, uh, thinking pervades all fields, all disciplines. I don't care whether you're a biologist or a chemist or a theologian or a, a literary scholar. Sooner or later, you have to think. You have to put your, your views in, in some type of argument, uh, argumentative form, if you will. What do you call it? It takes, log- it takes some logic. Oh, okay, you guys, I'm going to jump in right now because the music's coming on, and we're coming up to our top of the hour break. So well, I'll come back to that thought. Yeah, I want you to hang on, Dan. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Bible Information Brokers. We're coming up to the break. Tom, Eric, don't go anywhere. Uh, let me give you the number. Let's get these phone lines lit up. one 888 talks one 888 Give us a call with your open, honest Bible questions. We'll be back right after these messages. <laughs> 